Praise God. Good to see everybody. Uh, praise God. You know, it's, we're having kind of two services because there's a lot of people here, but they're spread out. Uh, first service was spread out as well, and it's just a little bit different, but we're getting kind of used to it. I'm hoping we don't ever get used to it. I hope it goes back to normal, amen. Uh, that way we can all hug each other and love on each other, you know. But we can still love each other and encourage each other in the word and do what the Lord's called us to do. Don't let a mask keep you from being in fellowship, amen. Uh, you know, just be safe and so forth. But, you know, get, get together, man. The Bible says we need to sharpen one another, encourage one another, and not forsake the assembling of ourselves together as a habit of some. And the enemy would love to use an excuse to keep you out of fellowship, you know. So it's important that we're, we're encouraging each other in the faith. Uh, Luke chapter 8, the parable of the sower. And praise God for our, our live stream audience. We have an awesome live stream audience throughout the world and uh, many different states throughout the country. Uh, many uh, groups that gather together too to hear the word. And we love you guys. We, we praise God for you. Uh, we praise God that there's a lot of like-minded believers that are on fire for Jesus and love his truth. Amen. And God is good. Amen. So I encourage you to turn to Luke chapter 8. This is part 2 of a three-part series that's ended up being on uh, the parable of the sower. And uh, we looked at the parable of the Good Samaritan not too long ago in, in light of all the racism that's being dealt with right now and how if anybody should be against racism, it's Christians, amen? Because we recognize that we're all of the same blood. We recognize that we're all created in God's image. We recognize that we all come from Adam and Eve. We realize that Jesus died for each and every one of us. We realize that a great multitude that no man can number from every nation, kingdom, and tongue, it says, will be before God's throne together as one, amen, in Christ. So we should all be standing together in Christ for truth and righteousness. And I did a number of two or three messages on it. I did four podcasts on it uh, as well. We did four podcasts. So I encourage you to check those out. But uh, we're now in the parable of the sower. And in the parable of the sower, we're going to look at the first two soils. Last time we got together on this, last Sunday, we looked at Jesus' introductory remarks. And we looked at verses 4 through verses 10. And we got into some depth. But now we're going to read verses 4 through 8. Uh, if you want to get into 9 and 10, we went in depth in 9 and 10 in the last message because some people get confused on that because Jesus talks about, you know, uh, seeing they may not see and hearing they may not hear. And you have to understand the context there because Jesus' parables at this point in his ministry are given to reveal or to conceal, depending on the condition of your heart. If you're, he's revealed the truth to babes, those who want him, those who want more light those who want to follow the Lord, but those who were uh, holy in their own eyes and hard-hearted and wanted to kill him and wanted nothing to do with him, uh, they were meant to conceal because there was a lot of things going on there, and we don't have time to get in depth, but we talked about last week what we call, what's sometimes called the messianic secret is that if Jesus, it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, if the, king, if, the, if the rulers of this world had known that he was who he was, the king of glory, right, they would have never crucified the king of glory. Pilate, Herod, if they knew, wow, this is God in the flesh, they said, they would say, Ooh, I'm, what am I doing, you know? They went to crucify him. But Jesus, it says, we read in the scripture, and we got into it, that he hid himself to a degree. He revealed himself to those who would have open hearts. He called all, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden. But those who rejected him, he could have done even more miracles than he did. But uh, he waited until he died for the world because if they, everybody was like, wait, we're not going to crucify him. He went to die for the sins of the world. But after he died for the sins of the world, he gave the greatest of all miracles, the greatest sign, the sign of Jonah, he called it the resurrection. Amen. Amen. 
And, uh, and then, then many of the priests, even those who had hardened hearts, had come to him and believed on him. After that, we read in the book of Acts. So it's pretty awesome what's going on there. So in verse 1 and 8, we read, When a large crowd was coming together, and those from various cities were journeying to him, he spoke by way of a parable. Now the word parable in the Greek is parabole, and it means to cast alongside. And it, it's like, well, what does that mean, to cast alongside? The context of a parable, especially in the mouth of Jesus is to cast light alongside a spiritual truth by means of telling a earthly story, something that could be understood readily, uh, and by taking that story and bringing light to a spiritual truth, a deep spiritual truth, or something that might be considered too ethereal or too abstract to a lot of different people. By putting flesh and blood stories on it, Jesus was opening up their understanding to understand the spiritual reality of, uh, of God's kingdom. And so a parable was telling a story, an earthly story, to understand a heavenly truth. And it's interesting, like, for instance, Nicodemus was having a hard time bending his mind around, you know, what it meant to be born again, right? And Jesus would give illustrations. As a serpent lifted up the Moses, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so shall the Son of Man be lifted up, John 3, 15, before verse 16. And Nicodemus would know, wow, that's right. And that's not even a parable. That's an illustration, a typology where Moses, when all the people were dying of snake bites in the wilderness from complaining against God, and God allowed snakes to, to bite them and their lives were ebbing away, God told Moses to put a snake up on a pole and whoever looked at the pole would be healed. And sure enough, it happened. And Jesus said, even so, the Son of Man will be lifted up for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I believe the picture there is, is we all get bit by serpents. That's God's wrath right there, man. That's what we deserve, right? But Jesus was lifted up to take the bite of God's wrath for us in our place. So we look to him, we find salvation. So there's a lot of pictures, typologies, parables. These are all ways that we can grow in our understanding of truth if our hearts are soft. But we read in verse one, the sower went out to sow his seed and as he sowed, some fell beside the road and it was trampled underfoot and the birds of the air ate it up. And now we're just gonna go quickly through this because we went through this in depth, some depth last week. But keep in mind, the seed by the roadside was trampled underfoot. Those would be a, a footpath. The roadside would be where everybody walks in between the farms, right? And of course, you got groups of guys walking. They're getting by the roadside. They're stamping. So the dirt by the roadside is also pretty hard. The, the seeds that fall on that ground is, not, don't have a great chance of receiving the seed because it's hard. The ground's hard, right? And what does Jesus say? The, uh, the birds, the birds of the air ate it up. It's easy pickings, easy food for the birds. Verse 6, and then Jesus is going to explain these things in a minute. Verse 6, other seed fell on rocky soil, and as soon as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And you remember, the rocky soil actually is a little bit of soil that can be penetrated. But the rocky soil, I mean, in Israel, I've been there, I don't know, four or five times now, and it's amazing because there's rocks everywhere. You know, it's just rocky, you know. And when Satan tempts Jesus, you know, turn these stones to bread, you understand what he's saying. You understand that there's a lot of stones out there. But it wasn't just that the soil was very rocky. It's also that the soil often has a bedrock layer under it. So you'll see a lot of rock, and then sometimes there'll be bedrock that has, oh, two, three inches of soil on it. And that's great as far as planting, as far as, you know, quickly the plants will come up because the moisture gets trapped there and so forth. And, but guess what? When the heat comes, it's not so hot because it is hot. You know, it's not so hot for the plant, but too hot for the plant. And it just dies because its roots aren't deep. 
and it's not a mature plant, and then it easily gets cooked in the heat of the sun. So that's the second soil. The third one, other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it out. Jesus is going to talk about that as well. We're only going to get into the first two. That's the third soil, but that one we'll deal with, Lord willing, next Sunday. And that's how the word could get choked out of your heart, by the cares and the affairs of this world, the pleasures of life and the worries of life and so forth. And that's important teaching as well. Verse 8, other seed, this is the good soil. Okay, this is the good soil. Other seed fell into the good soil and grew up and produced a crop a hundred times as great. And as he said these things, he would call out, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Well, why is he saying that? Because guess what? He's going to go on to talk about how many people won't hear. Their hearts are too hard. And they're represented by the first soil. And then he picks up and explains. We went through verses 9 and 10 last week. If you want to get in depth, as I mentioned, I've talked a little bit about them already. Verse 11. Let's look at Jesus' explanation or his expounding upon what this all means. Now, the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. So he just tells us the seed is, the meaning of the seed is what? What does the seed signify, guys? The word of God. Amen. And so the seed is actually God's word going into the soils. Okay, we know from Matthew 13, 37, who, who is a sower? It says, the one who sowed the good seed, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Those are called the synoptic gospels. It means because they're similar to one another. Amen. John's the outlier. Uh, Matthew, and I praise God, God has the outlier because John, the gospel of John is so cool. But Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they're similar to one another. And you get in Mark 14, in Matthew 13, the same parable here as you get in Luke chapter 8. And I praise God that he gave us different witnesses, you know, because you get a little bit more, by putting them together, you get a little bit more understanding and you get the purposes of each author. And, but in Matthew 13, we read that the, the sower is the son of man. So we know what the seed is. It's the what? The seed is the word of God. And the sower is who? The Son of Man. That's the title of Jesus. Jesus is, talks about the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven in the in a book of Daniel. Uh, praise God, the Lord is coming. But he's the Son of Man, and he's sowing the seed. That's awesome. And by the way, we, can, we know who the seed, what the seed is. It's the Word of God. We know who the sower is. It's Jesus. Amen. Now Jesus is still sowing. He uses us. We're the body of Christ. We're his hands and feet. Amen. To sow the seed today. What are the four soils? What do they represent? Come on. The hearts of men. The hearts of men. Four different types of men. And it's interesting because verse 12, he talks about the first soil. And you don't want to be the first soil, guys. You don't want to be the second soil. You don't want to be the third soil. A brother came up to me after the service and he said I was in tears at a certain point practically because when you were on one of the soils, that was me in the past. He said I was the, the second soil that you talked about, which we'll get into a little bit. And then thank God he brought me back. And sometimes you can shift from being one soil to the other. Uh, but you ultimately want to be the fourth soil, guys. The first soil, we read verse 12. Those beside the road are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their heart. So somebody comes up and shares the gospel with you. You hear the good news of the gospel. It's the power of God to salvation. Everyone who believes the Jew first and also the Greek. You hear the saving word of God. And guess what? And the devil comes and takes away the word from their heart so that they will not believe and be saved. Why does Satan take away the word from their hearts? So the word gets into their hearts. But it's like hard soil. There's a shelf of rock just under that little layer of dirt. Okay? And it's interesting. This is, I'm sorry, in the, uh, regard to the 
first soil, we'll get to the second in a second, but the first, you, a lot of people have that hardened heart where the word just doesn't penetrate. How many of you run into people where you share the word of God with them and it just bounces off them like they're rock and you know, Teflon mixed together? Some just like, it just, we've all had that experience. You share it with someone, oh, I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about it. I mean, I used to, I witnessed all my family and, you know, none of them were saved. All seven, I was the first saved out of the seven when I was 17 years old or so, about 17, going on 18 actually. And I had a, the hardest heart in the family. I was like so anti-Christ. The only time I saw people witnessing, I went to them because I wanted to tell them how Jesus is a myth, you know. Didn't know anything either, you know, just like, I knew Christianity can't be wrong. I can't believe in that devil with a pitchfork and the, and, the, and the pointy tail. That doesn't make sense. Of course, I had a stupid understanding of a, a caricature from Hollywood. Wasn't even real, right? So, uh, and I had this heart at heart. I was very anti-God, but the Lord got a hold of me because he could break up the fallow ground, the Bible says. He breaks up the hard heart. And, but I remember sharing with my family, and for some of them, it would just bounce off at first, you know. And praise God, you've seen each and every one. But my dad was a guy who was like, I don't want to talk about it. You know, he'd be drinking, and oh, I don't want to talk about Jesus. You know, like, and I was the Jesus freak in the family early on, you know. So I heard a lot about him anyway, you know. I changed your diapers. I was in World War II. I've been around the world, and you're going to tell me the truth. And then you're going through a phase. One year goes by, two years go by. 10 years, 20, 30, 40, finally he comes to Jesus. It takes a while. So don't give up on someone with a hardened heart. The Apostle Paul, man, he was a violent aggressor, right? He wasn't open to the gospel at all. God changed him. So there's hope for those with rocky hearts, but, ooh, it's kind of scary, you know? And then my dad, like all seven of us, he had a, all, all of my family still goes here except for my dad because he passed away last year. Uh, first Father's Day without him, which was kind of strange, but it was good. First Father's Day knowing that, hey, he's with Jesus, though which is, was actually sweet. So anyway, it's interesting. You've got to watch out that you don't have a hardened heart, but it's the word of God that saves us. The, word, the seed is the word. In fact, listen to 1 Peter 1, 23. It says, you have not been born again with perishable seed, okay? A perishable seed, but imperishable. So we're not born again with, it says we've not been born again of seed that is perishable, but imperishable. That is, through the living and enduring word of God. That's 1 Peter 1.23. You're born again through the seed, it says, of the word of God. So here we see it again. And Peter listened to that parable, and he was a great student, and God inspired him to use that scripture. James 1.23, Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted seed or word, which is able to save your souls. So it's the word of God. Romans chapter 10. The Bible says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved there, right? But it talks about how if we confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, verses 9 and 10, we will be saved, amen? So that's the word of God, man. Faith comes by hearing, and it says hearing by the word of God right there. So it's by hearing the word of God, it's receiving the seed that, that the sower goes out to sow a seed. But that first heart is really hard. Let's read verse 12 again. Those beside the road are those who have heard, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their heart so that they will not believe and be saved. If they believe, they will be what? Saved. Come to faith, they'll be saved. So Satan takes away the seed so they won't believe and be saved. Now it's interesting because when farmers farm with seed and they're planting seeds, like the, I'm not, you're talking about in the modern or the ancient agrarian period of time in the Ain community, ancient Near Eastern community, and then later with Jesus and Jesus' day, they still didn't have all these machines and everything else. So guess what? How many of you have been deep sea fishing? Raise your hands. Deep sea fishing. What do you have to watch out for when you're throwing your bait in the water or, or you're taking your fish up? 
Sharks are concerned too. But the biggest concern you have is seagulls because they're just swooping down, trying to take your bait when it goes in the water because they want that too. And then later, they're trying to take the, if you've got a nice fish, sometimes they'll try to scoop it up, you know, and they'll get it often. So you've got to watch out for the birds. For the sailor, he has to watch out for the birds taking his bait. Guess what? For the farmer, guess who's following him? Not, not seagulls, but just birds that want the seed. And that's how Satan is, man. He follows us, okay? When we sow the seed of God's word, he tries to snatch it up from people's hearts. You have to recognize that there is spiritual warfare going on when you're witnessing with the people, when you're sharing the gospel with people. We have a, there's a spiritual world all around us that's very, very active. And that spiritual world is very, very active when you plant that seed in someone's heart. Satan's already trying to take it away, okay? In fact, even before you get to that person and before the seed is planted in their hearts, Satan has already been, been at work on them for years and years because he takes away the seed. But prior to that, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, speaks of Satan being the god of this world. And Paul says, if our, god is, if our gospel is hidden, it's hidden because the god of this world has blinded the minds of those that believe not, lest the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, whose image of God, should shine unto them. So Satan is actively blinding the minds of non-believers so they won't understand the gospel. And he does it in a myriad of ways. And he does it mainly through the, I believe personally, through, uh, through the evil of isms, I like to call it. Through the evil of isms. There's all kinds of isms out there, false belief systems. The Bible talks about uh, doctrines of demons and seducing spirits in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. There's all kinds of doctrines of demons, seducing spirits, things that are meant to blind people to keep them from the light of the gospel truth. And so even before you plant that seed, that heart can already be hardened before you get there. And then when you plant the seed, the enemy seeks to take away that heart. Okay? Many, many isms that defeat the gospel or try to defeat the gospel. And determinism, fatalistic determinism is one of the isms. That's the idea that everything is predetermined. That everything that happens in your life and everything choice that you make is not really your choice because it's been prescripted by God and you've been predestined to do everything that you do. So even the child rapist is predetermined to rape a child by God. And, the, and he couldn't have done otherwise because they teach in fatalistic predeterminism that there's no way God could be in control of everything if people have true free will. Because how could he know the future then? And how could he really know what someone would do if they were free? And how could he even have that kind of knowledge? Well, Because our God's bigger than that. Because our God is so big that he can know the future. Okay? He created the entire universe. How could he do that out of nothing? How can you do that if he had dirt even? He just creates the entire universe. He had nothing, okay? Of course he can know the end from the beginning without forcing you to do certain things by prescripting them. So, by the way, I mentioned that ism first because guess what? This shows you, this text right here, that fatalistic determinism is a false teaching. Why? Because guess what? If everything, if people were predetermined not to believe and they didn't really have a genuine choice in salvation where they could believe and be saved, why in the world would the devil blind their minds? Right? Why would he go out of his way to steal the seed if they couldn't be saved? Do you understand? So we have to understand, we are responsible. You will not stand before God and say, I had no choice in the matter. No, he says you'll be without excuse. You and I are, we will stand before God. It says to give an account before God, Romans chapter 14. Okay, each and every one of us will give an account before the bima, it says in the Greek, the bima seed of God. We give an account for our lives. And we, so this is real. We're living in a real, 
a real world with real testing going on and we have free moral agency, we have libertarian free will, we can make choices and we're held responsible for those choices. Now, these isms though, that he blinds us with, there's postmodernism. Postmodernism is a biggie right now where everything's just relative, you know. There's no real authority for morality and what's right, wrong, you know. Everything's relative. That's a lie from the pit of hell. There's no objective truth. Liberalism. Liberalism is uh, responsible for the, for the murder of millions and millions of people in our country, millions of babies, 60 million plus of babies that have been, innocent babies that have been murdered because of liberalism, paganism. You know, so many people get into Wicca and witchcraft right now, blinds them to the truth of the Lord. How about Marxism, you know? And by the way, I mentioned a lot of, these, a lot of things, these isms, when you study them, have demonic powers behind them. Marxism, I mean, is guilty of the deaths of over 100 million people in the last century alone. And those are conservative estimates. When you look at the USSR, the former Russia used to be called USSR, China, communist China, right? You look at Pol Pot, you look at a lot of others as well. Uh, in fact, Nash, uh, think about it this way. Uh, Richard Warmbrand, he's the one who started Voice of the Martyrs. He's in prison for years there in Europe. And there's a movie that just came out about him, I think a couple years ago, pretty, pretty good movie. Uh, he wrote a book called Marx versus Satan I read when I was a new Christian. And in that book, he shows poem after poem written by Karl Marx praising Satan. No kidding. Marxism. And right now, we have uh, this whole, uh, and praise God, I mean, racism is another evil one, right? How many did people get blinded by racism? They get all fixed on their particular race and that they're supreme or whatever. You know, that's being dealt with right now. I did the Good Samaritan messages. I did a number of messages to deal with racism. We've dealt with it as well in the past. But uh, that, that blinds people's hearts. Oh, and the agendas that go along. And watch out for the agendas. Because we, anybody here that has half a heart and loves Jesus okay, would be against racism, absolutely, 100%, right? But you have to watch for the agendas people have. We all believe black lives do matter, absolutely. But the, leading, the leadership of the Black Lives Matter movement, they're avowed Marxists. The two gals that helped start it up, main two gals, they said, we're, we're trained Marxists. Ooh, that's right. Lesbians too, you said? Yeah. Well, and that's part of the deal. They're, they're in, it's about not just racial color-wise, it's like, you're a racist, and this is what's going to come down the pike. If you, don't, if you believe that there's just two genders, male and female. So if you don't believe there's 100 plus genders or however many they want to make up, and you don't go for this fiction, and you say, no, uh, scientifically speaking, biologically, there's male and female, just as God said, and I can't go around telling to come back next week and, you know, say I'm now a female giraffe, you know. You just got to accept it. That's me, Joe the giraffe. And you're going to offend me, you know, if you don't believe I'm Joe the giraffe. And, and if you don't, you're a hater if you don't accept that. You laughing at me? I'm Joe the giraffe. No, it's ridiculous, you guys, where this is going. It's like so ridiculous. And we all see through it. We see the emperor's clothes. He has no clothes. It's a lie. Biologically speaking, there's only two genders. And if we say, hey, look, it looks like the man was made for the female. I mean, they're kind of made to like click together and have babies. You know, it just makes sense. I don't get too graphic, but hey, you know. Come on, guys. It's just reality. You're a racist. That's where this is going. And pretty soon, you're going to see Christians are going to be marginalized more and more because, and they're going to be called racist. And because young people are being so brainwashed in the government schools 
and by the media and by leadership of these movements, it's coming down the pike. Get ready because the second so we'll look at in a minute has to do with persecution and heat, the sun. Right now we're dealing with the birds, Satan taking the seed. There's all these isms that are around, heathenism, occultism. The New Age movement is so popular today. Occultism, Harry Potter, all that stuff. Uh, pantheism, everything is God. How ridiculous is that? We are God. We're all God. If, if we're all God, then there's a problem because God's a sinner then. Because we're sinners. And if we're part of God, then God's a sinner. That makes no sense. Absolutely no sense. And the Bible says there's only one God. He created all things, and we aren't the creators. There's selfism, scientism, the worship of putting science and excluding God from knowledge. Do you realize how rude that is? Do you realize to, you're not really being scientific if you bring God into the picture? Can you imagine somebody seeing a, a computer, some aliens on some planet? and our, We go to the moon, and we leave a computer in the background. And then all of a sudden, these aliens come, and they discover this computer. And a couple of them say, wow, this seems like there's a lot of design behind it. And one alien says, no, it's just oozed from the, the ground years ago. And he goes, no, no, it looks like it's been put together and designed by some intelligence some, like maybe these, those humans or something we heard about. No, that's not scientific. That's not scientific to bring humans into this. We've got to find some naturalistic explanation. Otherwise, it's not science. See how stupid that is? When you say humans are made, but you can't talk about God because that's not scientific. It's absolutely ridiculous. And scientism is the worship of knowledge, by, but it tells divorcing it from the creator. Okay? So there's a lot of isms that blind people from God, agnosticism, uh, the doctrine that we know nothing beyond the material phenomena, anarchism, the doctrine that all governments should be abolished and police departments should be defunded. And we've been seeing some of that lately, huh? Antinomianism, the doctrine that, of the rejection of the moral law of God. Humanism, the idea that humans are the ultimate authority and that humanity is good. Atheism, the denial of the existence of God. By the way, humanism blinds people because they feel that we are our own saviors, you know, and we are so good. A really recent, a survey that just came out by the Barna Group, uh, a recent Barna survey uh, that I was reading about uh, this morning, actually, in Christian News Network, uh, was, uh, did a deal on it. So the survey shows most Americans believe humans are basically good, but don't think life is sacred. Isn't that interesting? The seventh installation of the Nationwide American Worldview Survey conducted by Dr. George Barna and the Cultural Research Center of Arizona a Christian University found that most Americans feel that mankind is basically good. But when asked about the value of human life, only 39% agreed that life is sacred. Well, how are we good if there's no criteria of what good is and there's no creator? And if there's a creator, how is life not sacred, right? Participants were asked whether they agree or disagree with the statement, quote, people are basically good. While the percentage of those who disagree or agree is lower than uh, when the survey was conducted 30 years ago at 83%, 7 out of 10, or 69%, still responded that they believe man is basically good. So it's interesting it slipped. 30 years ago, 83% of people said mankind's good. It's dropped to 69%, but it's still 7 out of 10. If mankind was good, we would not have all the problems we have. We wouldn't have to lock our doors, wouldn't have to have guns, wouldn't have to have prisons, wouldn't have to watch your back, wouldn't have to have discernment with regard to every person that you meet practically and, and size people and say, who are they, you know? We, we don't live, people are, the Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, amen? The Bible says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, who can know it? The Bible said, says that children are evil 
through, with evil thoughts from their youth. The Bible actually says, from the womb they come forth speaking lies. Jesus talked about the heart of man is like a sepulcher on the outside. A, a tomb looks beautiful, but when you go inside, it's dead man's bones. That's where it's, we need help. We need, we need the Savior. And you understand how Satan uses these isms, right? Because if you're good, if you're already good and you haven't fallen, you don't need a Savior. That's why Darwinism is so evil. Darwin actually said, and there's, like I said, there's a lot of demonic entities behind a lot of these isms. Darwin wrote, and I've read a lot of his private letters. He talked about when he wrote Origin of the Species, it was like murdering God. Okay? And you know what? He writes in one of his letters to Asa Gray, he talks about how, he calls himself, by the way, he refers to himself as the devil's chaplain at one point. Saying the devil's chaplain should write a book like this, and then he wrote it. And then he writes to Gray, i.e., you know, he thanks him for spreading the gospel. And then he says, i.e., the devil's gospel. So if, if Satan can blind your mind to the need of redemption and make you think that you just evolved from, from scum and that you're really nothing more than evolved scum, a jungle animal that's just evolved, which is a lie, then you don't need to be saved. If you're not a sinner, you don't need Jesus. So what Satan does, he blinds people in the very first soil. He blinds them from coming to the gospel, and then if when they, when their hearts are hard, and then when the seed's planted, he snatches it away so they won't believe and be saved. Are you with me? Are you following this? So you've got to watch out for the evil of isms. They're all over. The Bible says in Colossians chapter 2, 8, see to it that no one takes you captive through the vain philosophies of men. Okay, you have to be very, very careful. So it's really, really interesting when you think about it. Uh, that, that poll got really crazy because it talked about how one out of every eight, 12%, claim that people are simply material substance, biological machines. Another one in eight, another 12%, argues that people are part of the mind of the universe. Others describe humans as an illusion, claiming that we don't really exist. Wow. Others, along those lines, I guess, believe that we're sleeping gods, part of the soul of the universe. A lot of crazy beliefs right in our country right now, guys. So when you come up to people, don't think that they're just in a neutral space. They've often, they've been worked over for years and years. I mean, right, there's a constant conditioning going on through the media whereby Satan is trying to harden people's heart through the deceitfulness of sin and keep them blinded to their need for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. But praise God, greater is he that, that's in us than he that's in the world, amen. If God be for us, who could be against us, Amen. We're more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. God's given us a mission and the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Amen? Amen. So we've been called, called to witness throughout the entire world. Then, after the gospel of the kingdom has been preached to all the world's witness to all the nations, then the end will come. Amen? Amen? So don't be discouraged. Say, okay, this is just, we're just being real with what Jesus is talking about. Because the first three soils, that's three out of four, that's 75% of the soils in the end. They don't know the Lord, you know? It's the 25% at the end. And the last soil that represent those who hear the word of God and persevere in their faith. So it's just amazing when you think of what the scriptures say and what is going on. And you've all, we've all run into people that just don't want to hear it. Uh, you know, but you keep going. Because my dad didn't get saved until he was like around 90 or so. I don't know the exact when he actually made that decision, decision where it stuck. But it took him a long time. And he had a lot of people, not just me, my whole family and friends witnessing to him all the time. So his heart was hardened, but then he began to soften. So don't give up. Don't give up. But also be careful because you can witness to somebody with a hard heart and you can spend all your time, your life, witnessing to them and miss out witnessing to a lot of other people. 
I mean, I learned that as a young Christian. I went to a New Age convention over at Anaheim. There was all these New Age booths set up everywhere, you know, just people with pyramids on their heads and just all kinds of weird things, crystals and people doing all these weird things. I mean, a few hundred booths. We were the lone Jesus booth there, man. That's the only way, you know, that's not going to go over well, but here we are. Jesus is the way, the truth, and life, you know. People knew our booth, you know. But there's one guy I witnessed to there early on, that took me like three hours, and I got ticked off at myself. I was like, Joe, this guy was just trying to evangelize. I'm witnessing him, but I realized he's just trying to witness to me. He wasn't listening to a word I was saying. He's trying to make me new ager, but I've been there. I did, I've done that. I came out of the occult. I knew it was Satan's lie. But I realized, man, I just burned three hours of my time where I could have been sharing with people that might have been open, you know. So... What I'm saying, don't write off those who have hard hearts altogether because that was me too. That's all of us, some of us, before we come to Jesus, right? But also make sure you don't just have one goal in life to witness to one person. Try to make sure that you're, you spread the seed out, amen? Not just on the hard soil. If you're all constantly throwing seeds on the hard soil, you're not going to get a whole lot of fruit, you know? But throw it on all the soil, you know? So it's important that we do that. And, and you know, people's hearts are so hard, but not everybody's. I mean, Jesus said... The Bible says in Jeremiah, when you seek me, or if you seek me with all your heart, then you will find me. Amen? Jesus says those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they will be satisfied. So there are going to be those hearts that are open. Those hard hearts can one day open. So the first heart we see in verse 12 is the hard heart. Those are the folks that we need to make sure. And whoever you're witnessing to, when you go witness, you don't know what kind of heart someone has often. So say, Father, please break up the fallow ground. The Bible talks about breaking up that hard ground. And please, Father, keep the enemy at bay and keep them, those that are blinded, may their eyes see, open their eyes up so they can be enlightened by the gospel. Amen. Paul prays that the eyes of our understanding would be opened. We should be praying for the eyes of the lost that they would be opened, that the hearts would be softened, that God would give us divine appointments. But when you pray for divine appointments, don't just think, you know what? Yeah, Lord, I've been praying for divine appointments for years, but you refuse to ever get out of your chair. Okay? You want someone to drop through your chimney? Upside down, I'm ready to hear. You know, it's not going to happen. You know, you need to actually share the gospel with people. Get the salt out of the shaker. Amen. Get the light from out from under the bushel. Jesus says you're not supposed to put light under a bushel, right? And put it on a lampstand so everyone can see. So we're all called to be witnesses. I've told you a thousand times. It's not the pastor and the elders. Those are the ministers. No, the Bible says all who are Christians are new creations in Christ. Amen. If you're a Christian, you're a new creation. It says, old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And it goes on to say, and God has given us, that's those who are new creations of Christians, he has given us the ministry of reconciliation. You've been given a ministry of reconciliation to bring people to Jesus. We're all called to share the gospel. We're all given the ministry of reconciliation. You're a minister. Can you say with me right now, if you're a Christian, say, I'm a minister. How dare you? You're a minister? Of course you are. Most Christians, I'd say 99% of Christians don't know that they're ministers. You're a priest. Did you know that? The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 2, male or female, it doesn't matter who you are, we're a royal priesthood. Amen? You're a priest. You have access to God. In Christ is neither male nor female, it says. Galatians 3.28. Oh, we have different roles, you know. Men shouldn't be wanting to have babies and cross it over and doing things that God gave women to do and vice versa. But we're, we're, we all have access to the same God. We're all creating God's image the same way. A man's not more important than a female. A female's not more important than a man. We're all one in Christ. So it's we all have access to God. We're all saved by the same blood. So it's important that you know, though, that you are a minister and that you are a priest. 
I tell somebody, if somebody, there's an accident and someone's bleeding and it doesn't look like they have blood, and someone says, get a minister, get a priest. Do you look around? Where's the minister? No, you say, here I am. Want me to pray? You're a priest? Yeah. You're a woman? Yeah, I'm not even Catholic, but I'm a priest. You know, amen? In fact, Catholics need to come to Jesus to become priests. That, that, you know, because that's a work salvation thing. But you guys, say this. Say, I am a priest. Say that. We need to know who we are, or we won't act the way we're supposed to act. If your kid thinks he's this and gets deluded by, I'm really a female, and he's a man, a guy, he's not going to know how he's supposed to really act because he's been deluded and poured upon him by the media or whatever, or peer pressure or social media, things he's looking at. Though Satan puts carrots. Teach your children who they are. Amen? But we need to know who we are. We're all ministers. We're all priests. We're all supposed to be spreading the word. Now we go from the hard heart to the shallow heart. Verse 13. Verse 13. Luke chapter 8. Verse 13. Those on the rocky soil are those who when they hear receive the word with joy. And these have no firm root. They believe for a while, and in time of temptation, they what? They fall away. So the first one doesn't believe at all. The second one believes for a while. Have joy even, you know. But in time of temptation, because they're not a firm root. So you keep in mind that, that rocky soil, there's rocks mixed in with the dirt, perhaps on a rock shelf, a lot of rock bedrock I was mentioning with just a couple inches of dirt, and it would spring up quick because there's moisture trapped there, boom, there's everything, nourishment, boom, but the roots don't go real deep. It's not real strong, it's not real firm, it's not really rooted the way it ought to be. And then when temptation comes, it dies, it falls away. Now, it's important to understand the context here is we're talking about, now we're not talking about someone who never got life, was never truly regenerated or had new life. We're talking about new life. This is someone who actually receives God's word believes for a while. There's life. There's fruit too. The fruit of the Spirit is love, peace, joy. This person has joy. They've received the Lord. And by the way, the context is clear here, guys, that we're talking about salvation. You know why? Remember the first soil? Look what it says in the first soil. What's the context? Those beside the road are those, verse 12, who have heard when the devil comes, he takes away the word from their heart so that they will what? Not what? So they will not believe and be saved. In other words, if they what, they'll be saved. If they believe, they'll be saved. So he wants to keep them from being believers. Because if they believe, they'll be saved. What happens in the second cell? Does, is, he, is he able to keep them from believing? Yes or no? No, they believe for a while. They're saved for a while. And the evidence is, is that there's life there. There's, it germinates. The seed germinates into a life. And there's even fruit. The fruit of the Spirit, joy is there for a while. But in time of temptation, they fall away. And Jesus doesn't really get into the nuances or specifically what the temptations are in Luke 8, but he does in Matthew 13 and in chapter 4 of the book of Mark, the same parable uh, where it's more expressed, it's expressed uh, more clearly. In fact, uh, in Mark 13, he specifically says these temptations or the trials they face, says when the trials or troubles or tribulations and, uh, tribula and persecutions come, they fall away, okay? So same with Mark. 
They both tell, talk about tribulations and persecutions come, they fall away. So they talk about the second soil with the shallow, the shallow dirt, the shallow believer. That soil is recognized as a shallow believer who's just not strong. When persecution comes, troubles come, they fall away because they can't handle the heat. The, the, remember, remember when Jesus dealt with the second soil? Verse 6, other seed fell on rocky soil and as soon as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. Why is it going to wither away without moisture? Because of the heat, the sun. Guess what? When the heat of persecution comes, and it does come in a believer's life, if you're not strong, you'll fall away. When you face the heat, okay, and it gets hotter, that's when we see in times in Scripture even, those fall away. In fact, in Revelation 21.7, it talks about the overcomer. It says, he that overcomes will inherit all these things. And it's describing in Revelation 21 and 22, the new heaven and the new earth. He that overcomes inherits all these things. Who's the overcomer? Revelation 12.11. And they overcame him, that is, they overcame the devil, by the blood of the lamb. The ground of our victory is the blood of Christ, the gospel. Amen. And the word of their testimony, by the word of testimony. And they did not love their lives even to the point of death, meaning they endured in their faith to the end. But then you know what the next verse says in Revelation 21, 8, after the overcomers will receive all these things? But for the cowardly. And it's a Greek word that has to do with recanting your faith in times of persecution. But for the cowardly and unbelievers and abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, their place will be in the lake that burns with fire. Okay? That's a totally different destiny than the overcomer. And the cowardly are the first people on the list of the damned there. And those are the ones who fall away during persecution. It's a Greek word that has to do specifically uh, with falling away. I've done a word study on that word before under persecution and renouncing your faith. So it's important that you understand that you're not going to be, you don't want to be like the first soil and reject God's word and be blinded by an ism and let the enemy take it out. But you don't want to be like the second soil and when things get hot, you quit your faith, amen? You turn your back on Jesus. You don't want to do that either, amen? Things are going to get hot. I'm telling you right now, in the future, I strongly believe Christians will be considered racist by virtue of being Christians and believing that male and female are to be together as one and that that's the way God designed it. I believe that's coming down the pike to one degree or another. I've been saying that for years, and I believe it's already starting in certain things I'm seeing. Remember Lot? Jesus said it would be like the days of Lot in Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot left, and you remember what they did with Lot? They surrounded Lot, and they wanted to, the men wanted to rape the angels who they thought were men. And then Lot was saying, it's wrong. You know what they said? Who are you to judge us? That's a picture way back in Genesis of the future. You judgmental Christians. Who are you going to dictate our, our, you know, how we legislate life? I'm not trying to legislate anything. I'm just what I believe. I just preach the word of God. And you know what? Absent from the body, present with the Lord. You can't kill my soul, man. You can feed me lions and swallow my body, but you can't swallow my soul. And neither height nor depth nor principality nor power or any other created thing that separates from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. And no one can snatch us out of his hands either. Amen? We just put our trust in Jesus. And things will get hotter. Your life is a vapor. It goes quick. Keep that in mind. This life is very short. Just say, hey, I'm going to hold out until till I die or until Jesus comes. It's not that long. Compared to eternity, your life goes really quick. Amen? Hold on to Jesus. Are you saying this is going to happen tomorrow? No. It may not even happen in your lifetime. But things are speeding up, right? Would you think, if I told you, I've said this a, few, a couple, a few messages back. If I told you six months ago, there's going to be this radical plague and everybody's going to be shut in. And everybody's going to be wearing masks. And then the mass people are going to come out. And many of these mass people are going to burn down all kinds of buildings everywhere and steal people, kill people. And the cops aren't going to do a thing about it. Hardly at all. Because they're terrified. And then we're going to all begin together. We're going to have to wear masks in church. And then people's love is going to grow cold. Lawlessness will increase. All things that Jesus said. What do you say? And, I, and it's going to be like that. 
How many of you would believe me? That would be the apocalypse. Well, yeah, getting close, bro. Cute baby, bro. Good job, Andre. Beautiful. Beautiful child there. Thank you, Jesus. And black lives matter, right, bro? And black baby lives matter, too. Amen. What a beautiful child. Amen. And pre-born black babies and white babies and yellow babies and brown babies should matter, too. 60 million dead. Okay? And the liberals go after the black kids first, the black babies. Uh, my heart is that my black brothers and sisters wake up to what Satan's doing, man. It's all a big lie. And stand against racism like we ought to in the white community. And, and I praise God. I, I love, and I say it all the time, and I'm gonna, I won't stop saying, I love that our fellowship has, we're just so Neapolitan. Amen? I don't know any, any strawberries here, but you know, you know what I'm saying, you know. But it's just awesome what God does. So, the shallow heart, man. Don't be a shallow-hearted Christian, man. Go deep in Jesus, man. Sink your roots deep into him. Now, keep in mind, so, I mean, let's look at verse 13 again. Those on the rocky soil are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy, and these have no firm root. They believe for a while, and in time of temptation, fall away. That Greek word, temptation, parasmos, that's a double-edged meaning. I mean, it's, got, it's like a coin with two sides. Uh, because it can mean temptation or it can mean trial. And by the way, when you think about it, every trial is also a temptation. Because with a trial comes a temptation to go the wrong way. And every temptation is a trial. And the scriptures say, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, very clearly that there's no temptation, prosmos again, or trial, you translate trial. There's no temptation or trial that's overtaken you that's not common to man. But God is faithful who with the temptation or trial the prosmos, will give you a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Hey, bro, that baby's quiet. You're good. <laughs> so it's amazing when you think about it, amen, how we've got this victory in Jesus. We have a choice to make. But the Bible warns that there'll be many of this type who fall away. I've seen it. I've seen, I remember when I was first saved, and I was leading not just my family, but my friends to Christ. And I led one of my friends to Christ, and he was all excited. And then all of a sudden, and he was had that joy, and it just looked great. It was awesome. And I was like, I won't say his name. I was like, hey, you know, what happened, man? And some of you know, you've known Dave Nelson, many of you, Steve Riley, see Karen, Steve working seven hours, seven days a week lately, right? Praise God, okay. But we love him. Uh, and Mike Johnson, I just got a text from Mike saying happy Father's Day. So a lot of my friends came to Jesus, but a couple of them that I was witnessing to, they had joy at first. And the two guys that had joy at first were excited, went to, went to jail. He got out of jail, and, he, you know, he was writing about his faith. And, and then he just got back to the drugs, and then he died. And my other friend, too, he was excited at first, and he wasn't following. I go, hey, dude, what's going on with you, man? Where are you at? What's happening? And he's like, man, Joe, I'm getting persecuted. So I'm being an undercover Christian. I don't want the enemy, the, the devil, to know that I'm for real. I'm like, you can't do that. He, see, he knows everything you're thinking and saying right now, you know. You need to follow the Lord, man. And he got away from the Lord, and he didn't follow. And he ended up dying in Lake Pyramid a couple years later, you know, in a boating accident. You guys, and guess what? If you're going to write Jesus off, why do you need to live any longer? He's going to, your, your trial, your, your, this is your probation, this is your testing. It only goes so long. If you're going to be right with Jesus, praise God, man, you're heaven bound. But if you're going to reject Jesus, he, 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 he'll know if you'll come back to him or not, and he may give you more time. But if he knows that you're never going to come back to him, why even allow you to exist longer? It's just kind of heavy when you think about it. And we don't know exactly because he sees all the ins and outs. He's the infinite God. We're just kind of, we know his word. We have a spirit. He explains certain things to us. Other things are somewhat mysterious as to how he works. But 
Some people will say, and look again at the text. In verse 12, if they believe, they'll be what? Saved. He keeps them from believing. In verse 13, he cannot keep them from believing, which equals salvation according to Jesus' context. And they have fruit and they have life, but then in time of temptation, they fall away. Some teach, oh yeah, well, believers can't really fall away. It's impossible to fall away. Really? Show me one verse that says it's impossible to turn away from the Lord. I'll show you hundreds that show throughout the scripture of people turning away from the Lord and falling away or committing sin and apostasy, rebelling against the Lord. Uh, it's very clear throughout scripture. In fact, almost every page of the New Testament were warned to continue to glorify him and live for him and wake up in the morning and take up our crosses daily and die to ourselves and follow him. Amen. So there are many scriptures that teach that you can fall away. And some of them are in the context of persecution. John the Baptist, he was definitely saved. He was, Jesus said, there was no one greater than him in the kingdom of God. Yet John the Baptist started to doubt when he was thrown in prison. He started to doubt where he was at, where who Jesus was. Like, why am I in prison? Because he didn't totally understand how the gospel would unfold and how Christ would give himself and be crucified. And he's like, wait, the Messiah's here. Why am I in prison? And when John the Baptist heard he was in prison, uh, Matthew 11, verses 2 through 4, that Christ, what Christ was doing, he sent his disciples to ask them, are you one, the one who was to come? Like Jesus, ask him if he's the one that's come. Or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, blessed is a man who does not fall away on account of me. He warned John the Baptist, you're blessed if you don't fall away. You know, it's very real concern. In fact, in Matthew chapter 24, regarding the end times, verses 10 through 13, we read, And at that time many will fall away, many will fall away, and will betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and mislead many. Because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. Amen? That's, that's held in contrast with those who fall away. You must endure in your faith to the end. Young people, younger people, Man, I just hold on to Jesus and say, I determine my heart right now by the grace of God. I refuse to fall away. Don't say, I won't fall away. I'll never deny you. Because Peter said that and then he fell big time, amen. But say, by the grace of God, my determination is to rely on his grace and seek his face and never to fall away, amen. P middle aged, older folks, really old people like me, you know, hold on to the faith. Encourage, just say, hey, I'm not going to let go of Jesus. 1 Timothy 4.1, Paul says, the, the, the Holy Spirit speaks or expressly that the latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. Amen? 2 Timothy chapter 2, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul said, concerning Christ's coming and our being gathered together to him, the rapture, let no one deceive you any, by any means. That day will not happen until the falling away happens first. And the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who sits in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. So the scriptures warn that the Antichrist is coming. First John says, you have heard that Antichrist is coming. Even now many are in the world. But the scriptures say, even in concert with the Antichrist and before the Antichrist, many will fall away. Jesus, Matthew 24. There'll be a departure from the faith. First Timothy 4.1. will fall from the faith. And 2 Thessalonians 2, the falling away will happen first before Christ comes and the Antichrist will be revealed. So it's predicted, it's prophesied. And guess what? We're seeing it before our eyes right now. In fact, it's crazy when you think of what's going on right now. Uh, in fact, we also read in John chapter 16, verses 1 and 2. I have told you, says Jesus, I have told you this. And it's right after he told them in John 15, this is chapter 16, verses 1 and 2. In John 15, just before this, he says, I'm the, I'm the branch and you're, I'm the vine and you are the branches. Right? And he says, whoever bears fruit you know, abides in me, will bear much fruit. But if a branch does not remain in me, does not abide in me, meno, doesn't continue in me, doesn't stay in me, he's broken off as a branch, thrown in the fire and burned. 
And then he warns them that you're going to be persecuted. If they persecuted me, the master, how much more are they going to persecute you, the servants? Woo! And then listen to what he says. I have told you this so that you will not fall away. He told us what? That you have to abide in him. You have to bear fruit. That if they persecuted him, they even crucified him, they're going to persecute us. He's telling us ahead of time so that when it happens, we will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogues. And the time will come when anyone who kills you will think that they're doing service to God. Wow. Remember, it's, remember Apostle Paul, before he was Apostle Paul, was Saul. He was having Christians killed. And he thought he was doing it for God. In the time of the Antichrist, people are going to think they're serving God because the Antichrist is going to claim to be God. And they're going to have Christians killed. Okay? In Romans chapter 11, it says, Behold then the kindness and severity of God to those who fell severity, but to you God's kindness. If you continue in his kindness, otherwise you also will be cut off. I mean, that's like so clear. And right before that, he says, You stand by your faith. You're standing by faith. Great. Romans 11, 20 through 22. You stand by faith. By the way, do non-believers stand by faith? Yes or no? No. Non-believers aren't standing in, and he's talking about the olive tree here. They don't stand by faith. He's one of those who stand by faith. That's only believers. That they need to continue in God's goodness or they too will be cut off. And he warns that they fell to those who fell severity. By the way, when Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, that there will be a departure from the faith, Many, some will fall from the faith. Can you fall from something you never had? Yes or no? No. If your little kid comes in and they say, I fell off the roof, would you think, well, really, they just kind of stubbed their toe? No, you think they fell from the roof, okay? When you fall from something, you were once there. And he's just talking about those who were in the vine and those who were in the olive tree. And in Galatians chapter 5, we read this. Listen to what Paul says to those who are thinking about going back to Judaism, going back and trying to keep the law of Moses to be right with God. And even saying, oh, I'm still a Christian. I believe Jesus died for me, but I think I have to keep the law. I think I have to be circumcised and I have to keep the dietary laws and I, of the Old Testament. I think I have to keep the new feast days and kind of like the Hebrew Roots Movement. Some of the people in the Hebrew Roots Movement, some of what's going on with that heresy today in the church. Paul warns them, it was for freedom that Christ set you free. Talk to those who've been set free. It was for freedom that Christ set you free. Do not be entangled again in the yoke of bondage. Okay, don't go back to the Mosaic law, he says. He says, you have been severed from Christ. Those who go back to the law, you have been severed from Christ. You who are seeking to be justified by law. In other words, if you go back to the law, I've got to keep the law of Moses to be right with God. You've been you're severed from Christ. That means cut off from Christ. You who are trying to be justified by law, that's your, what you're trying to do. He says, you have fallen from grace. You have been severed from Christ. You have fallen from grace. The Bible is very, very clear that you can be set free in Jesus and you can be severed, cut from Christ and fall from grace. I just read it off the page. Okay? That's what the Word says. Let's not ignore what God's Word clearly says. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 5 and 6, and verse 12, Paul warns the Corinthian believers, even though they've had these wonderful experiences of salvation in Christ, he warns about the Jews who were set free from Pharaoh, who's a picture of Satan, set free from Egypt, which is a picture of the world system, and they've been set free in their, in their wilderness journey to the promised land, that we too are the new wilderness people, and we're journeying to God's promised land. And he drives a line from how many of them fell, that we shouldn't fall in the same way they did. And he says, nevertheless, with most of them, talking about the Israelites that were saved out of Egypt, God was not well pleased, for they were laid low in the wilderness. Now these things happened as examples for us, so that we would not crave evil things, as they also craved. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. Okay? Make sure. Don't think, hey, I'm in no matter what. 
I went up in some altar call. I prayed to receive Jesus, so I'm going to heaven no matter what I do. Wrong. You have to abide in Christ. You have to make sure you don't fall away. Hebrews 3.12. Hebrews 3.12. Take care, brethren. He's warning Christians, brethren, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. He's not talking about falling away from some false profession. He's talking about falling away from the living God, a relationship with God. Very, very clear. He warns about not being hearted through the deceitfulness of sin right after that. Hebrews 12, 14 and 15, make your aim to be at peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Be careful to be certain that no one falls away from the grace of God. There's again, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 6 and verse 7, warns about making a new convert, a leader in the church. They're brand new. They're three days old. They love Jesus. They're excited. They believe and they have joy. It's like, oh, they'd be a great leader. Boom, want to lead? Boom. They come and all of a sudden they get puffed up in their minds. Look what all I'm doing. And they get their eyes off of Jesus. And it says, if you do that, be careful because they'll, don't do that because they'll fall, they'll fall. They'll fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Wow. That's just amazing. 1 Timothy 6 talks about the rich or those who just want to be rich. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. They have fallen away from the faith and have pierced themselves with many griefs. James chapter 5, verse 19 and 20. My brothers, if any of you falls away from the truth and one converts him back, he'll save a soul from death and hide a multitude of sins. 1 Peter 1, 10 and 11. If you do these things, meaning the things that he talks about adding to your faith, you know, moral excellence and these things and growing in your faith, he says if you do these things, you will never fall. You'll receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 2 Peter 3.17. And there's a lot of verses that warn about falling away, but I'm giving you verse after verse after verse after verse that actually uses the terminology fall away, fell, and so forth. That's the difference in this study than a lot of our studies. Therefore, dear friends, since you already know this, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of lawless men and fall from your secure position. He's talking to people that are in Christ that are in a secure position. And the devil can't snatch us out. But he can tempt us, but we can decide to fall and, re and, and reject the Lord. It's very, very serious stuff. Where are you, man? we got to make sure we're right with Jesus. Revelation 2, 4 and 5. He addresses the church at Ephesus. And they have all these things. You test those who say they're apostles and are not. And you found them liars. Good. Good job. You hate the deeds of Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Good job. He's basically saying. He says, but I have this against you. You have left your first love. He says, remember, therefore, first thing you do, remember from whence you have fallen. If you don't have your first love anymore, you've fallen from your first love. And repent. Number two, remember, repent. Do a 180. Do a repent. Turn back to Jesus. And do those things you did at first. Go back to your first love. Rekindle that relationship. Amen? So if you've gotten away from Jesus as your first love, first of all, if you haven't had Jesus as your first love, you need to get saved and recognize that. He said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You can't serve God and mammon. Amen. You have to put him first. Take up your cross. You, you got to love him more than family, more than everybody. You can't just go by feelings. You got to say, you know what? No matter what, I'm going to follow Jesus. Even if my own family tells me to follow Buddha, follow Muhammad, follow, I'm going to follow Jesus first. Amen. He's going to be first in my life. Amen. But if you've left your first love, you need to remember from whence you have fallen, repent and do what you did at first. Because guess what? It's going to get harder. It's going to get hotter. It's going to get more and more difficult, guys. And we need to have these kinds of warnings. Why? Because if we're not warned like this, remember Jesus said, I've told you these things so you won't fall away. He wants us to be forewarned that heat's coming. 
And I'm not saying it's going to get really hot and they're going to come after Christians anytime soon. But who? You, you don't know, man. In certain countries, a lot of countries in the world, they're being hunted. Okay? The United States has been an anomaly because of our former government for years to protect Christians. You should be thankful for that, but you should also recognize Satan is eroding those safeguards quickly through socialism being parroted or promoted right now radically. And you know what? There's books and stuff. There's a lot of things out there that will, not, will, will discourage you and set you up for a fall. Oh, the prosperity gospel. It's the most popular version of Christianity in the world right now. I've got 1128 here, bro, on this clock. On this clock, they like said, it says, that's the satellite clock. A little bit more so. Oh, just turned to 29. It's a little bit more time, guys. <laughs> anyway, uh, Joel Olstein wrote the book, Your Best Life Now. You know, it's like live, 8 million sold, national bestseller. Your best life now? Is, that, is this our best life, guys? The Bible says the present sufferings we're going through can't be compared to the glory that we revealed. And eye has not seen, the ear has not heard what God has revealed for us. And it even says in 2, Timothy, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 that this momentary light afflictions, whoa, Paul went through more than anybody just about, he called momentary light afflictions. Yeah, compared to hell and compared to what we got in heaven are working an eternal weight of glory. It's going to be so much better than it is now, guys. Your best life now, Mr. Olstein, I'm sorry. It's your best life now. That's true if you're a non-believer. This is the best it will ever get for you because you'll be separated from God forever in the lake of fire. It'll be horrifying. But if you're a Christian, it gets a lot better. Can you imagine telling somebody who's being tortured by, you know, Muslims or something and going to get his head cut off? This is your best life now, isn't it? Huh? <laughs> yeah. No, I got something better coming. It's our best life later, amen? But praise God, when you know your best life is later, you can live an awesome life now, amen? That's the only way you really can because then it gives meaning and purpose to the life we're living now, amen? So I want to encourage everybody here, you know, make sure Jesus is first in your life. Make sure you're not that hard soil. If you're, if you're visiting or listening, you're like, but you, you're around other people that are saved or maybe you're not, and know that the Lord loves you. Stop hardening your hearts, man. Receive Christ, receive the word, have eternal life, amen? But if you're the next soil in line and you have a walk with Jesus, you're excited about your faith, even you're, maybe you're a new Christian, let your, deeps go, your roots go deep into Jesus, amen? Get to know him better. Get to love him more. Get into his word. Praise God, we have a lot of Jesus lovers here that I've seen grow and grow and grow through the years, and your roots grow deep. And I've seen a lot of you go through different trials and different things, but you stand because guess what? Your roots are deep in Jesus. Stay deep in Jesus. Grow in Jesus, amen? And guess what, man? When it's all said and done, we'll be like that forced soil who held fast the word of God. Amen? And we'll hear, hear those words from Jesus when we die. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Amen? How many are you looking forward to hear those words? Amen? Praise God. Let's stand. We have an awesome God.